This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio. And the draft, that's right, the NFL draft is on the horizon. You can see it peaking ever so slightly with the sun as it rises over the horizon in the near and distant future. And here at the Saturday to Sunday football podcast, we are going out of our way to bring some of the best in the business to you guys listening at home. So that way we can help you enjoy your Saturdays and Sundays a little bit more and understand this prospect class a little bit better. And I am just beside myself tonight because I have the opportunity to bring somebody in who. Honestly, the work that is being done um, with this gentleman and his team is is outstanding. And I'm talking about the vice president of football research at Sports Info Solution. He is the editor of the Sport Info Solution Football Rookie Handbook. I'm talking about Matt Manicharian. Matt, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. What's up? Thank you for uh, having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk draft. Let's let's talk football. So, Matt, I mean, we're going to this is really one of the first guests, I think, this season for us where we're really going to kind of totally go over the landscape. We're going to kind of explore all the skill position players over the next 40, 45 minutes and and really just kind of get inside the sports info solution kind of process, what you guys are doing there with your team and how you're bringing a different type of lens to these players and their skill level. So I was wondering if we could start potentially at the quarterback position and begin to kind of peel back the layers of understanding that position. Because if I'm not mistaken, Matt, at Sport Info Solutions, you guys kind of take a two-pronged approach, right? It's video analysis and an analytical kind of component as well in terms of modeling and statistically looking at these players. Is that correct? Can you can you kind of peel that back for us about the quarterback position and how you guys contextualize it at Sports Info Solutions? Yeah, let's, let's start broader and then we'll get into quarterback. So you have it absolutely right. We try to separate scouting from the sort of quote-unquote analytics. Um, and really, my background is as a scout, you know, I spent years with the Saints and with the Browns learning under people like Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton, uh, Ryan Pace and Terry Fontenot. Um, and then uh, Michael Lombardi uh, with the Browns was was a, a really uh, fantastic experience, though, though too short-lived in my opinion, uh, because his time got cut short there. But um, learning from all these guys over the years, I learned a robust scouting process and what we've done at Sports Info Solutions is really take the best of both of those worlds in terms of scouting philosophies and try to um, combine that into our internal grading scale, our internal grading philosophy and grading system. Um, and that's really um, very scouting based. And when you look in, in, you know, for example, the football rookie handbook, you'll see full NFL style scouting reports based on what I learned from all those guys that I just mentioned Um and um, a completely sort of a quote-unquote non-analytics lens into the players, um, really pro-style scouting. Along with that, you get what we specialize in at Sports Info Solutions. You know, every team has their own scouts who they trust a whole lot for the sort of uh, evaluations that you get right there. But the other side of what we do at Sports Info Solutions, and like you said, two-pronged, we really keep it separate is the analytical side of things. And what we do as far as that goes is we have scouts watch every NFL game, every college football game. We have at least four scouts watch every game, charting every intricate detail of what goes on on the field. Uh, Really um, everything you can imagine from what we call kind of the quality control type of data, the things that QC coaches for NFL teams are recording, like basically what play is being run, what each individual's responsibilities are on the play. And then we have a separate layer of stuff where it's not just statistics like yards or even advanced statistics like broken tackles. It goes a layer beyond that so we can understand specifically was this pass catchable? Was it on target? Was it overthrown, underthrown, in front, behind? Um, With offensive linemen and pressures that are caused, 
every pressure is like a snowflake, right? You have pressures that are caused because offensive linemen miss blocks. You have unblocked players. You have quarterbacks holding the ball too long. You have coverage sacks. In order to parse the difference between all of those things, you need a whole lot of really intricate data points. And that's the sort of um, intricate stuff that we're recording. So it's no actual grading on every play. It's recording what everybody's doing and the job that they're doing, doing that task. And then we let all of that data dictate to us a lot of the advanced analytics that you see in the football rookie handbook. So we format things two-pronged. You're the GM, and you've got basically two departments at, in here reporting to you for every player. So that instead of getting to you, you know, if we meld the scouting and analytics together, here's what we think of the player. We say, here's the scouting report. Here's what your scouting department came back with. And here's the analytics. Here is um, what the, if you consider that just a different perspective to go along with all the other things, the analytics perspective is is boiled down into the stats. And, and when they match, then I think you can be pretty confident in what you're getting there. When they don't match, then I think, um, you know, we got to go back to the film. We got to dive back in and see what's leading to the disconnect. And 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 just want to ask you a follow-up question. I mean, with your extensive background in scouting, as well as over the last three years, right? This is the third year this book is now coming into publication. And after all that experience, I mean, just to kind of put the the debate to rest or at least present your side of the story, it shouldn't be a film versus analytics discussion anymore, correct? It should be about them working synergistically together to better answer the questions we want about skill and talent. Yeah, I mean, that's a silly that's a silly way to look at things is that it's film versus analytics. And unfortunately, it's the common way that people tend to look at things. I get it. I grew up watching football with my dad telling me, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, all that kind of stuff. And I love that kind of football. And it, uh, to be honest, I still believe in that kind of football. But um, to to at the same time, I understand why he gets turned off by um, when somebody wants to go for it on fourth and two, and he doesn't think it's a good idea to do that in the second quarter. I, I understand it. I empathize with it. But um, I think that's more like an emotional thing about reacting to what you've seen and how what you're seeing is different. Whereas we got to get to a point where we're like a Fortune 500 company and we're saying, okay, what are the people on the ground telling me? Okay, what are the managers telling me? Okay, what do the analytics say? Where are the KPIs? And we're doing all of those things so that we're running like Jeff Bezos and Amazon. That's going to be an optimal football team not uh, this kind of nonsense that, that we're doing where we're arguing about which department should have precedent over the other. They should all be empowered. They should all be important. And we should, we should, you know, if there's one thing I learned from my time with the Saints, it's that when there's consensus, and not just consensus amongst people, but consensus amongst departments, when the trainers and the coaches and the scouts, the area scout, the cross-checker, when there's consensus, that's a lot more powerful. Even if the consensus is, this guy's going to be a good player. I'd rather have that guy than half the room saying he's going to be great and half the guy saying we don't want him in here. Um, it's a really powerful thing, especially when the consensus isn't built on groupthink and it's built on individual perspectives coming at the problem from a separate lens and, and breaking it down. Uh, so, you know, I think I'm preaching to the choir when I talk to you about this. But, um, you know, for me, that – to think about things as one versus the other, um, it's a real disservice to everybody at the end of the day. No, and and I can't echo that sentiment enough. I do, I do very much believe in that. I think the questions that we're asking need to be the focal point. I don't care which department you're in. I really don't. I don't care if you're an analytics person, you're a film person, you're a player. We should all have a common language. We should be working towards a common language a common language that can be shared from trainer all the way through. So that way we all know what we're looking at so we can craft better questions about what skillful movement and skillful success looks like on the field. Then once we have good questions, we can go about doing our job, which, which reminds me because as we get into this kind of discussion now going maybe a little bit towards the quarterback position. Yeah, I'll get to that eventually. I promise. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 no. Because that common language, at Sports Info Solutions, I'm sure was a big task 
for you guys to kind of undergo because essentially, like you said, you know, we, you're putting you're putting yourself out there as the people that are going to be helping the GMs of that is your readers kind of make these decisions. So I'm sure kind of developing that common language and that common lens across the analytics departments and the film departments were probably one of the first problems you guys had to deal with. So when you're looking at players specifically, like 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 I said, maybe the quarterback position, what are some of the what is that common language and common lens that you guys kind of crafted? Yeah. So um, thank you for teeing that up uh, because um, what I would say is the common language comes from again what I've learned from the scouting departments, and when you're grading players, you're always going to be doing two things: you're going to be grading the traits, and you're going to be grading the overall player. Uh, no matter what your scouting system is, I think uh, trait-based grading is um, something that all 32 teams adopt to some extent or another. And the way we break things down is we spend a lot of time from the preseason throughout what we call our scout school, where we meet on a weekly basis and we watch the positions and we try to calibrate. The goal of scout school isn't to teach people how to scout. Hopefully, everybody understands what we're looking at when we look at football. Yes, there. I mean, there are things that we teach in there. I, we share experiences, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, the main goal of a scout school and the main thing that any scouting department has to do first thing at any season is get on the same page about what you're talking about. So when I say a skill, we do everything on a one through nine skill for traits. So when I say something is a six, that means that it's good. That means that it wins most of the time in the NFL. That means we've got to spend time as a group watching players at the NFL level that perform at the six, at the good level, so that we can understand exactly what that looks like right now in the NFL. Because it's a moving target every year. And we can't trust that a running back that succeeded in the 90s is going to succeed in 2021's NFL. So with the quarterback position, for example, we always break down three critical factors. For the quarterback position, it's accuracy, it's decision-making, it's mental, and it's clutch performance. And those three categories are the three things that we look at as trait grades that we try to make sure most, first and most importantly, we're calibrated on because you need to be uh, good or better at most of those traits to be a, a sufficient starting level player on the NFL level. So that's the most important thing. Once we get on the same page about what all those actually mean, what one through nine means at each of those factors, then we get into the positional factors, which vary based on every position. And you'll notice that all of our stats are really tailored to match those factors in a way. So accuracy, I mentioned, is the first. It's it's the most important trait that we look at with quarterbacks. And you'll see um, somebody like Trevor Lawrence, not only do we grade him at a seven, which is a very good based on our scale for accuracy, which you can think of as, as a plus trait on the NFL level. So not just winning on the NFL level, but plus trait on the NFL level. As you get to an eight and, an, and a nine on any trait, these get more and more rare. Um, that seven with accuracy corresponds pretty well with when we look at his accuracy metrics. And accuracy metrics, most people think, okay, completion percentage, great. I, you know, what's his completion percentage? But as we all know, your depth of target is going to have a big impact on your completion percentage. How much you're playing under pressure is going to have an impact on that. Heck, what plays you call and how often you're running a three-step versus a seven-step drop is going to have a big impact on the completion percentage. So when we look at things, we tend to look at what we call P-Comp. That's predicted completion percentage, which basically is similar to the next-gen CPOE uh, model, which which XCOMP, which basically says, so our, our P-Comp model says, based on the formation, the receiver distribution, the coverage, and whether or not there's pressure on the quarterback, what was the likelihood of this being completed or incomplete? So you can think of that as, Okay, if we're two by two and we ran all verts against cover three, um, what are what are the probabilities that each receiver would complete the pass? We're calculating that across thousands and thousands of plays. And then from there, we find out how likely each throw at each depth is to be completed. And uh, actually, when you look at this on the NFL level, that has about a 0.9 correlation with the next-gen model, which is based on the coordinate data. So you can tell that um, we're certainly onto something. I would contest that what we're measuring is actually more important than what they're measuring because our, our what we're measuring, you can you can mostly figure out before the plays even started. 
Um, and then from there, we get a plus minus. And when you look at Trevor Lawrence, each of the last three seasons, plus 5% in 18, plus 5% in 2019, and plus 4% in 2020. His PCOM plus minus, which for my money is the best accuracy metric that we have, shows that he's a strong player, that he's a plus player in the competition that he's faced. So this is a descriptive statistic. We've got to be careful. We can't say just because it's a plus five, uh, plus minus completion percentage that that necessarily means that that's what it's going to be on the NFL level. But when we're looking at the player and we're evaluating what we see based on kind of the analog as a scout's perspective, what you see on the film, it corresponds really well with the with the advanced statistics where you say that kind of a, a, a description of what he's been in terms of accuracy really matches the scouts, the scouts grade of a seven, a very good completion percentage. So that's a little bit of how the scale kind of works and how things correspond from the scouting side to the analytics side. Even though they're separate, the analytics aren't just based on computers. They're based on the scouts. They're based on what we care about. Otherwise, we would have really bad models for everything. No, I mean, there, there, I mean, there's so many different ways to go with what you just said, Matt. And I, I mean, we could spend forever talking about a lot of the elements that you just brought into the discussion with regards to the, the, the viability of the scout school in terms of calibrating everybody's understanding and, and really a, a sensitizing or attuning everybody to what it is and what is meaningful. You know, when you're looking at a player and looking at film and describing that six, that good player, those good players and, and what good looks like on any particular play for any particular player on any given year. It, it really reminds me of a, of, of a quote that I constantly, you know, hear and use, which is context drives content, right? The context is going to drive the content of the player's movement and the player's performance. And if we don't understand that context, well, you we know, can't, it's you know, you go ahead, please. That. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's funny you say that. If you literally look in our scout scale and you look at how we evaluate quarterbacks, part of what we look at in there is we mentioned the word context with respect to offensive linemen. We, res- we, we mentioned specifically in there an old football truism, Don Shula, show me a good offensive line, I'll show you a good offense. Show me a good offensive line, I'll show you a good quarterback. So um, we, we referenced that there. Good offensive lines make quarterbacks look good. Uh, it's not a quarterback example, but it reminds me of Reggie Bush when he was at USC. Every time he got a handoff, it was like he had a punt return. He had so much room in front of him. It was very hard to, to, to calibrate that to what that's going to be on the NFL level. Um, so uh, no, when no you way. mentioned the context there, yeah. we're literally trying to take it into account. But, man, is it tough. <laughs> oh, and, and, and it is so tough. And I think that that's what makes you know the efforts of this particular publication – so, so like, cause I, I think the, 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 like you mentioned it earlier and, and this will kind of drive this discussion a little bit more. I think the illusion is perfection, right? The illusion is that we're going to get a hundred percent right on the model that we're using, right? But if we can get 10% better or 5% better, my, that would make a big difference. And I think that's kind of what we're right. all striving to do. You know, we're trying to, obviously we want to get it right. Obviously we want it to be right. And, and, and when, when we do, let's, let's go sell it for millions of dollars. But, but we know that obviously hey, Harvard doesn't get it right. They let lots of young people into their institution every year. They're really smart and they don't get it right on, at that high clip either. So we're talking about young people and, and they're going into all different sorts of situations and context. Like this is some hard stuff, but I'm agree. I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent. We're not doing really well right now. And so any improvement is improvement. That's right. And, and as, and when you looked at this particular class of, of players and specifically, I think this kind of talks about really the controversy that's currently going on. And I'd love to hear where you guys stand on this from your data, from your analysis, when it comes to the quarterback position right now, it seems like a foregone conclusion. It's Trevor Lawrence at the top, and then it's pretty much everybody else. But when you look at the top five quarterbacks, you got Trevor Lawrence, you have Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, you have Trey Lance, and obviously you have Mac Jones. Where does where does where has your analysis at Sport Info Solutions and your team kind of taken that group of players? How does it shake out for you guys in that class? Yeah, for us, um, it's interesting because it's a quarterback class, and a lot of people like to frame that as the top tier. And I do think that those are the guys that are all kind of first round worthy. 
But I think there are three tiers built into there, actually. Trevor Lawrence is like unknown like any quarterback that we scouted in the three years of the football rookie handbook. It's not a guarantee that he's going to be a successful NFL player. But in terms of a prospect, you know, names like Andrew Luck and John Elway are not crazy to throw out in comparison to what this guy is. He has size. He has athleticism. He has arm strength. He has accuracy, leadership qualities, uh, clutch performance, uh, you name it. Um, He's, it's very hard to poke holes in Trevor Lawrence. Um, the, I think the, the biggest argument against Trevor Lawrence is just radical uncertainty that sometimes you just don't know. And, and uh, like I, we were mentioning a minute ago, they're young people. Uh, the next tier for me is the Justin Fields, Zach Wilson tier. For me, I would take Fields over Wilson. A uh, little bit of a hot take these days as Fields is like. No, no, we, we, you just said the right thing, Matt. You're welcome on the show <laughs> anytime you want, Matt. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, you know, I, I can understand how uh, uh, when we look back, Wilson could end up better than Fields. I've been wrong about quarterback stacks before. What's hard for me to understand is how, based on the evidence that we have right now, that, that Wilson is the consensus better prospect than Fields. Um, I'm not sure what's going on there because, um, listen, if it's character stuff and I'm not in these, I'm not in the, 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 um, football offices anymore. Like I used to be having the access that I used to have. So if it's something like that, maybe that's possible. Maybe people are scared off because of Dwayne Haskins just a couple of years ago, kind of flubbing out and thinking it's an Ohio state thing and scouting. I know Dan Hatman, your boy. Would, would caution against scouting based on the, the color of the jersey instead of right. uh, the player that's actually uh, wearing the jersey. But um, for me, Justin Fields has every tool that you look for in a quarterback, just like Trevor Lawrence does. In fact, he has some some tools that I would say he's even stronger than Trevor Lawrence in terms of he's a fantastic athlete, and I love athleticism at the modern quarterback position. I think even quarterbacks that we don't think of as athletic, like a Drew Brees, a guy I spent a lot of time around, was an incredible, incredible athlete, a guy that beat Andy Roddick in tennis in high school. Um, so, I mean, when you talk about Justin Fields, when he's on the field, he looks like a guy that has athleticism and an ease about his game, that he would be successful in more sports than just football. Um, and then with Wilson, I get afraid because one year was a fantastic year. The arm talent, you can't disagree with. It's, it's fantastic. The up, you, you, you know, you hesitate to use the word Mahomes, but you can see the flashes in his game that make people think about that sort of Rodgers-Mahomes flick of the wrist and the ball just exploding out of his hands. Uh, so I get all of that, but what a weird season for BYU. What a weird offense he was in. And one year of production, I, I would have a hard time, as much as I, as I love the one year, I have a hard time um, buying into that as much as I buy into things in terms of fields. Uh, but those guys, I think they're on a similar tier together. And then the third tier is two guys that couldn't be more different, Trey Lance and Mac Jones. When you look at Trey Lance, you're talking about a guy who's played when he was 19 years old, one season of JV football, and he had great stats. But then you turn on the film and you're like, oh, that's not what I expected it to look like. Um, I think he's draftable as a running back. I think he's that much, uh, that talented an athlete. Uh, but I think he's got all kinds of arm talent too. So I'm not, I'm not saying he's, I'm not doing a Bill Polian here and saying that he's a running back. I'm saying that's what the talent that he has as a runner. And I understand why you get enticed about the skill and the upside. I just get really nervous because what I saw on film with him last year, uh, I mean, in 2019 and the one game in 2020 and what our statistics uh, kind of reflect about that is is not a guy that had whatever it was 38 touchdowns and zero interceptions it was a guy who was more talented than everybody he was on the field with and has warts that are that are legitimate in his game where i wouldn't want to start him in year one um at best i'd want to play him in a gadget role in year one but in terms of the boom ability to go along with the bust ability he's got as much upside as, as justin fields i think uh athletically so um, he's very exciting from that perspective. Mac Jones couldn't be more different. I think the the cap is kind of on him. I think what he did last year at Alabama, he leads almost all of our statistics when you look at uh, total points, passing total points. And we can talk about what, what all these different things mean. The P-comp, like uh, I talked about before, um, and how he does above average in terms of that statistic. Um, we have something called IQR, which is basically like NFL quarterback rating, but it strips out 
drops and things that are outside of the quarterback's control. Um, when you look at stuff on the NFL level, we talk about how guys perform in a clean pocket being predictive year over year. One of our researchers, Alex Vigderman, who's a genius um, that, you know, it's hard to have a conversation with because he's so damn smart. Um, he did some great research this year that shows when you're predicting college to pro, it's actually the under pressure stuff that's more predictive of pro performance than, than, uh, than that is. Now, Mac Jones, small sample size because he was rarely under pressure, but he outclassed everybody in terms of his performance when he was under pressure this year. So there are a lot of statistical things that when you look at Mac Jones, you say, man, this guy was really, really good this last year. When I look at that, I think that it's kind of the reason why I say it's capped out and that's that's the best case scenario is because uh, obviously the supporting cast, all that kind of stuff. But when it gets to the NFL level, he doesn't have the athleticism that either of that any of those four guys that we talked about already do. And if there's one thing I missed on with Justin Herbert last year, I think, and I'm not ready to say that I missed on him. He was our third-ranked quarterback. He was the NFL's third-ranked quarterback. He appears to be the best of that bunch so far, but we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of time, you know, it's, it's yet to be written. But I think what I missed on in terms of how he would translate so quickly is the way that defenses had to respect his athleticism. They had a hard time playing two high safeties against him because they had to respect that athleticism. And that enabled him to make his reads so much simpler than they would have been if he was, say, Mac Jones. Mac Jones gets none of that benefit. He's going to see all the most complicated mass match quarters that he could ask for. And it's not going to be 2020 college teams coming off of what the hell kind of offseason that we just did, we just have that are trying to piece their defenses together. It's going to be NFL defenses that got that, you know, it's going to be Wink Martindale and stuff like that that have tricks up their sleeves for how to face him. So I think he's going to have uh, everything working against him as far as everything outside of the statistics go. But at the same time, you want a guy that's plug and play, um, you know, as Kyle Shanahan, who I worked with in Cleveland and told me he just wanted damn Kirk Cousins. If he just wants damn Kirk Cousins, I think he's got him. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not going to bet against him there either. I don't know if it's worth trading up to number three for that guy, but, um, that's how they stack out for us. There's kind of, I would say, Trevor Lawrence, who's the best quarterback we've graded in three years, Fields and Wilson, who are about as good as, you know, the, the Kyler Murray tier of player that we've graded in the past couple of years. Kyler Murray, I'd say, has outplayed that expectation by a little bit so far. Um, and then you get the Trey Lance, Mac Jones, which are somewhere on the fringe of Mac Jones, limited upside, but um, we think he's got a great chance of, of having a high floor, Trey Lance. Uh, low floor, but man, the upside is off the charts. I mean, again, I mean, there's just so many things. First of all, I, I love the ideas that you just presented there along with the idea of under pressure, because that, that brings us back to the ideas that, you know, we were talking, you know, off air about, you know, movement skill and, and all that stuff. And the reality is, is that when you're talking about, you know, trying to predict to the next level, you have to look for as many NFL like exposures as you can. Because the informational components of those exposures are what you're trying to hope translates. You want tight frames, tight windows. You want tight time frames. So that way you can begin to kind of hopefully see what these guys might do at the next level. So it's interesting to hear that the NFL-like exposures right. are kind of comp a really big part of that discussion. Because those informational constraints are really what we're hoping might transfer and and might give us a glimpse into who they are. And I think it's so it translates so nicely into your discussion about Mac Jones because Mac Jones couldn't have asked for a <laughs> kind of a better situation, right? In terms of being able to perform at some of his optimum levels, right? And and granted, listen, if he were to take that statistical year and bring it to the NFL, I think I think, you know, the 49ers, if that's who they draft, are going to be doing backflips. Do you know what I mean? And and everybody in our world is going to be like, well, like, I guess it guess they were right, you know? But I think that to your point, there's still a lot of components that are going to dramatically change when he gets to that next level. And I love how you talked about that interrelationship between the player's capability and the defense's respect or response to it. I think that's a very, very under utilized kind of interrelationship that we see when we talk about players, this capacity of a player to do something is going to limit it, 
you know, is going to limit the responses of your opponent or at least destabilize their responses, make them a little hesitant, a little bit, you know, unnerved by what you're going to potentially do. I, I just thought that was fantastic. I am another position. I mean, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to just barrel through this, but th- before we get into this next position, you mentioned total points. Would you mind kind of just giving our listeners a little bit? Cause I thought that was a very unique component of that publication of, of the sports info solutions handbook. I thought it was a very unique component was total points because it really tries to encapsulate everything you guys do is, is, am I wrong? Please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I think anybody who, um, is around football understands that football statistics historically are not a great indication of how good a player is. Even if you just play fantasy football, you understand you're looking for guys that get targets and opportunity, not necessarily the best players. Um, so football stats historically have been really limited in, in their value. I think beyond that, if you're really familiar with, with sports stats, you understand that the concept of a sort of Holy grail stat, as we call it one number that explains who's better and who's worse. That is a perilous journey. Um, Holy grail stats are, are not realistic. All that said, total points is our version of Holy grail stat because at the end of the day, um, that's what people really want. They want things boiled down into, into um, what really matters and what doesn't. And um, I'm happy that we have it because I think it's a big, it's a big upgrade over, you know, pro football reference has um, their, um, AV, I think it, I think it is, which is, you know, the value you create over career, very limited. You know, they don't have any offensive line stats, for example, to work with defensive stats are mostly about tackles, interceptions, fumble recoveries, stuff that that really limits you. Um, And um, so it's a limited stat. And I see a lot of salary cap analysis doing that. And, and it, and it bugs me. Um, Pro football, I mean, uh, pro football focus, not pro football. They obviously do a lot of grading of players, and I think the grading has its place. But, you know, I think everybody rightfully has their skepticism about that because of the subjectivity that goes to it. So what total point is, is it's um, as inclusive of a statistic that is purely objective as we believe can possibly exist, and, and we're constantly trying to improve it. So what it does is it takes the concept of expected points added, EPA. You've seen all those involving charts on on Twitter. Um, EPA, which basically says, what's the value of a play in terms of points? Um, So instead of yards, touchdowns, and turnovers, we translate it all into one currency, which is how many points was this play worth? If we went from first and 10 on our 20 to first and 10 on the 50, we went from about one expected point to about three expected points. We got two expected points added. That play was worth two points. Problem with that is people will say this quarterback got two expected points added. And that's as crazy as saying as this quarterback passed for 5,000 yards and they were all his responsibility. It's, it's a nuts thing to do. So what total points does is it takes that expected points added and it divides it amongst the 22 players on the field. So we know that that play that was a 30-yard game where we went from first and 10 on our own 20 to first and 10 on the 50, and we know that was worth two points, we can distinguish between if Patrick Mahomes drop back to pass, was immediately pressured because his tackles don't know what they're doing, has to roll out, is throwing on his run to the left as he's running out of bounds, fires 30 yards downfield, and hits Tyreek Hill in stride as Tyreek Hill falls down. In that case, we'll have Eric Fisher with negative one total points on the play. We'll have Tyreek Hill with probably about half a total point on the play. And we'll have Patrick Mahomes with actually two and a half total points on the play. More more points than the play was actually even worth. Meanwhile, if that same 30-yard gain was Mahomes dropping back on a one-step drop, throwing a bubble screen to Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill breaking two, two tackles and running 30 yards after the catch, then the total points are going to look like about zero for the offensive line, slightly positive for Patrick Mahomes. We're talking like less than 0.1 total points for Patrick Mahomes and basically 2.9 plus total points, uh, excuse me, 1.9 plus total points for Tyree Hill for what he did catching that pass and what he did, you know, depending on if there were key blocks on the play and stuff like that. But um, what we do is we take into context 
what the expectation for the play was, what the performance was above or below expectation, and we translate that into how many points it was actually worth on the field. And we have that for both offense and defense. Total points on offense are points earned. On defense, they're points saved. Um, and they're, you know, for every point earned, there's a point earned, there's a point saved. Um, and this is for us, uh, it's not perfect. It's not going to be as, um, I don't, we don't, we don't try to pretend like if you charted every single player's, every single play of every single game, that total points would see it exactly the way that you see it. But man, when you aggregate things across the league, across all the plays, and with with the ability of this statistic to see everything, we're talking about for 130 teams in the football bowl subdivision, as well as the 32 NFL teams. Um, it's just it's an incredible resource that really gives you a, a, a description of how many points that player was worth for their team. I, and I and I love I love the ideas behind it because I think again going back to our analytical discussion about film versus analytics and that whole hugabaloo, right? It really does boil down to these are not supposed to be answers, but they're supposed to help us kind of get off the fence, right? They give us a little bit of a better understanding of, hmm, do I take Justin Fields or do I take Zach Wilson? Let me use this to kind of get some more context or understanding about what's going on. I, I, I think it's fantastic, Matt. And yeah, yeah, and 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 this is why I I was I really want to go to the next position that I think really has people always. Always, it always puts people in a conundrum, and it's probably the last position you might think I go to, which is tight end. The tight end position is just one mm. of those positions that I'm sure brings fits in your world because of the value that they bring in in terms of being both an offensive weapon as a receiver, but also what they can do in terms of blocking in the run game or even in some ways, you know, contributing in pass pro, however limited it might be, you know, chipping and then just releasing whatever they might do. I, I'm just, I just wonder that position, how do you begin to contextualize that position? I know you talked about quarterbacks. It was accuracy and decision-making were two of the big ones for you guys. What does it look like when it comes to the tight end position? Yeah, tight ends are interesting. Uh, the first thing that we do is we look at, um, what sort of a tight end are you? Are you a Y tight end? Are you, depending on what philosophy you come from, call it an F or an H tight end? Um, are you, you know, the move tight end type of player? And understanding just what sort of a tight end are we looking at? Because tight end in the modern NFL is not what tight end was 20, 30 years ago in terms of just being able to fit, you know, Mark Bavaro into your uh, positional archetype. So, that's the first thing that we do. We try to understand, are you one or are you the other or are you both? And that's going to be the first key to our grading scale. And what you'll notice from our grading scales across positions are everything is based on how we looked at things on the NFL level, which is what position do you fit into filling on our team? And categorically, if you can fit both a Y and an H for us, you are more valuable than somebody that can only be a Y or an H. So that's the first thing that we look at is where are you going to fit in? Are you know, if you're a blue chipper, you're a blue chipper. But if you're not a blue chipper, are you a both a Y and an H? Then we're going to put you into the that that higher grade level of a starter or are you either a Y or H? Then you're in the lower grade level of a starter and then we start to get into backups and depth players. And we look at backups and depth players, it's the same thing. The highest level backups can do both. Because think about it, if you have an injury to, uh, um, you know, your, uh, let's call it a Gronkowski player, you can't just sub in Aaron Hernandez to, to Gronkowski's role. You need to have a backup that could theoretically fill in for either of those guys who would be much more valuable to you than somebody who could do one or the other. Because all of a sudden you might be left without uh, either a Y or an H, depending on who got injured. Um, so we look at that first. Then beyond that, the three traits that we look for are, unsurprisingly, blocking, receiving, blocking ability, receiving ability, and FBI, football intelligence. Um, those are the three must-haves at the position. So um, blocking ability, obviously, um, if you're going to play tight end um, and you don't have blocking ability, then I got news for you. You're a big wide receiver. 
and we're going to grade you as a big wide receiver. So blocking ability. Are you telling is, me something about Kyle Pitts, Matt? I got I got uh, I'm. Are you telling me something about Kyle Pitts? I'm, I'm just playing with you. I just. I just said. You know, I'm not. I'm not because in terms of our grading, we have Kyle Pitts as a sufficient blocker. We have him as a five on a one through nine scale. That means sufficient. That means that you're not going to embarrass yourself blocking in line on the NFL level. I mean, that's a big part of the reason why we like Kyle Pitts, and, I, and I'm going to come back to that. In of a course, minute. of course. So the second trait, the second trait is the receiving ability, and obviously, um, you want guys that that in the modern NFL. Um, the receiving game, the pass game is even more important than the run game uh, and, the, and the blocking game. So guys that can that can uh, move the needle in terms of receiving ability, that you know that's your Travis Kelsey type in the NFL. So that's the second critical factor. And the third one is football intelligence. A lot of people that haven't been on the inside don't really realize this, but tight end is, I think, the highest required intelligence position outside of the quarterback and maybe the defensive play caller. You could make an argument that that the middle linebacker for safety, whoever's calling things and in charge of adjustments on the backside, but tight end is really the most important thing. Uh, when when I was in New Orleans, most of the time the quarterback spent was actually in the same room with the tight ends because the tight ends need to know all of the facets of the game just like the quarterback does, right? Defense is mostly reactionary. Offense, if you're a running back, that's the easiest position. All you have to really know is where to run. Um, you talk about elite running backs start to understand pass protection. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's where you get to as far as that. Um, you talk about offensive linemen, you have to understand both pass blocking and run blocking. But so you got to be smart, but you know that's pretty limited. A receiver, you got to understand the route tree and how you got to adjust your route. So you got to be smart, but at the same time, you don't have to understand pass blocking or run blocking concepts in great detail. Tight ends, you've got to understand the route tree and how to adjust to different. Uh, defensive coverages and read the coverages and you've got to understand how to pass block and you've got to understand how to run block and all those different combo blocking schemes and how you're going to be involved in duo and how you're going to be involved in split zone and every sort of emotion that might be involved to help your quarterback get a tail so this is this is really the most important position on offense certainly outside a quarterback to really have intelligent players so the football intelligence is something that we really look at as being the the important trait. So those are the three must-haves. But when you look at separators, it's mismatchability. And mismatchability is going to come whenever you have guys that are really high in all three of those critical factors. When you have a Kyle Pitts to bring back the name you just mentioned, he's our top guy. He's the top tight end that we've graded in the history of the football rookie handbook. I, I, I don't think I can think of a tight end that I've graded higher than Kyle Pitts uh, in, my, in my time as a scout. And this guy is just absolutely special in, in his ability to make whatever personnel grouping you bring onto the field a problem for the defense. If Kyle Pitts is your tight end in 11 personnel, uh, the defense better have uh, four corners out there if they want to have any chance. And then all of a sudden, you've got a lot of wide open running game stuff. Some of you know, Josh Hermsmeyer, for the better or worse, in terms of his analysis, you get that empty box counts type stuff you know, as a result of that. Uh, you want to talk about your 12 personnel with him in the game. I don't care who you compliment him with. You've got a good personnel group. 21, you're going to put three linebackers in the game and try to defend Kyle Pitts. Good luck. Um, whatever personnel group you're in, he makes you better, and it's because he's a mismatch for whoever the defense tries to match him up with. Um, so the mismatchability is the thing that makes him transcendent. But the, the three critical factors, blocking, receiving, and intelligence. Well, I, I and I love just going back to the earlier point that you brought up about, you know, when you have a player who can play multiple roles, that's that's obviously the most desirable that goes hand in hand with some of the things that we we talk about here is, you know, us being very much a kind of a problem solving. That's kind of our, our thoughts that, you know, we want problem solvers, right? We need problem solvers, players who can solve a variety of problems on the field. So if you have a player that can adapt to multiple position well, then that's a very good problem solver. That's a person who understands what their capabilities are in various situations and can adapt to them. So that adaptability is being captured in that discussion. And I, and I really, I really, really appreciate that. And it means that, you know, when we look at a guy like Kyle Pitts, yeah, well, of course, he's not going to maybe grade out as the best blocker in this particular class, but he is such a problem and mismatch problem that I love that you guys incorporate those elements in a, in a very kind of meaningful way to account for the disproportionate kind of, uh, 
I want to say the disproportionate value that certain aspects of the game yep. or certain elements may have over others at different given times. I mean, he's just that good at his ability to receive the football. Other than Kyle Pitts, where do you guys go after that? I mean, because this is, again, this position being so football IQ driven, so driven by these ideas that they have to be adaptable. Where do we go after Kyle Pitts? Is it a complete letdown in this class or do or are there some diamonds in the rough? I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, versatility is problem solving and problem solving is value. So um, when you really understand things from a coaching, a true scouting perspective, that's that type of stuff becomes self-evident. And that's how we built the scale. Um, so, to, so to get back to your question, the next guy on our list is Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State. We've got him in that in that solid starter level. So uh, no other Pro Bowlers, but you know most years you don't have a lot of special tight ends. That's part of the reason why, if you want a really good tight end, you you, you know you gotta you gotta pull the trigger on them to an extent. I think Fryermuth would be a great value on day two. Um, I, I, I could see him going, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not here in the business of predicting when people will go, but in terms of the value that we see him as, we see him as that strong starter level player, which is, which is how we try to think about value again, right? We're not thinking about round-based grades. We're thinking about value-based grades and how they solve problems. He's a guy that, that doesn't have any of the really special mismatch qualities that Kyle Pitts has, but what he has is, is really everything that you look for in a tight end. So you talk about blocking ability. He's got it. He was asked to do a lot more blocking than a lot of players were graded out pretty well by, by a lot of our analytics. And when you see him on the film, his ability to combos really stood out to me, his ability to understand how to move and when to move to the next level, that, that kind of thing that when I think you're a scout watching film and evaluating offensive linemen or tight ends, it's, it's a very difficult thing to quantify, but it's something that you can see on the film is that knack for understanding when, um, and, and he's got that ability and the balance to go with it and that sort of body control that you look for to go with it. Um, he's stout in terms of blocking in that, in that area. We saw some, a lot of good pass blocking reps from him this past year. You're not going to ask him to block NFL edge rushers on a consistent one-to-one basis, just like you're not asking any tight end to, but in terms of somebody that can help benefit in slide protections, that sort of thing. Um, he's absolutely got to keep it in there. And then when you look at him in the passing game, he's not a matchup problem for any sort of defensive back, but everything that he does in the run game that we just talked about dictates that you really have to match him with a linebacker. And all of a sudden, when you talk about in the passing game, you get him lined up, you know, there are no Sams in the NFL really in him anymore, but um, whoever that guy is that ends up matched up on him, um, you do have a bit of, you know, you don't have this sort of mass mismatch ability that we talked about with Pitts before, where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But all of a sudden, if you don't have a really good linebacker, you know, you don't have, um, you know, one of the Devins, Bush or White, to kind of match up with him or a player like that. Um, all of a sudden, if you don't have that special linebacker, Swiss Army type, Pat Meyer Prymuth creates problems for you. He can be a quarterback's best friend. He can break down the coverages. So I don't see him as somebody that's going to elevate your offense into this guy's going to create the matchups for us. But I do see him as somebody as, hey, we've got pretty good matchups created for us already. Um, if he comes in, he can fit as that starter. If he's our second tight end, we're absolutely golden. Um, so he's he's kind of the next guy that I look at there. Uh, after him, we look at a Brevin Jordan, a Trey McKitty. There are guys that we look at that are kind of you know, also in that top 100 sort of range. But um, we're, we're sort of in the range right now where we're looking at guys that are either a Y or an H rather than the only two guys that we have in the draft that we think are starting level both positions, and, and that's Pitts and Fryer Muth. And I, and I think that's just such a – again, I, I can't say enough about – that ability to encapsulate their problem-solving adaptability, how they can solve various problems by looking at their positional versatility. Really, really well done. Matt, I mean, listen, I, I, I obviously we're coming up on that 50-minute mark. I'm already already monopolizing your time. I, I don't certainly don't want to be rude and take any more of it. Do you think we can zoom out maybe 35,000 feet, so to speak, and just kind of talk about, you know, as we kind of bring the show maybe to a conclusion – 
just talk about some of your favorite players or some of the favorite players of your team at the wide receiver and running back position and, and any, any diamonds in the rough in the skill players that regardless tight end quarterback, any players that you say, you know what, you guys got to really be aware of these guys because they really could find a way of catapulting themselves into being a prominent name that we come to know. Yep, absolutely. So big picture on the draft, as you would expect based on this year, COVID has had an, an impact on the, um, if you picture a histogram, sorry to be all nerdy on people here, but the distribution of talent this year is weird. So there's not as many players, there's not as much depth in the draft. So when you get past the top 100 and you start to get into, not the fourth, fifth round a little bit, but the, the, the sixth round, the seventh round, an undrafted free agency, it gets weak. It really does. You can't count on undrafted free agents to fill in a lot of roles this year the way you would, I think, in a typical year. Uh, so that's the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is the top 100 is pretty freaking good. And just like we look at the top 10 being good, the quarterback class being good, the top 100 is pretty good. I think there's a really, you know, there's the quarterbacks. There's five players that I probably put in a top, top tier, the four receivers, including Pitts and Panay Sewell. Um, and then there's um, kind of a, a steady drop, and you get to 15 in the first round to halfway through the third round. And I, and I think a lot of those players are pretty indistinguishable. There's a steady plateau, and that's uh, partially to say that there's a drop-off in the first round after the top 15 and it's partially to say that um, there's really good depth in the top 100 this year, um, the way things have shaken out. Now, at the skill positions, those top five quarterbacks that we talked about, I like those guys as first-rounders. I don't love anybody else in this year's draft. I wouldn't be thrilled about taking a Trask, a Mond, a Webb in the, on the second day. I, I, I might be excited about those guys on the third day, depending on, on you know how things are looking. But um, – this is one year where I look at after those top quarterbacks, I don't see a late guy that I'm excited about that I might be in a typical year. At the running back position, if you told me a year ago Travis Etienne wouldn't be our top running back, I would have slapped you in the face. Um, as it turns out, he's our third-ranked running back. We see him as somebody who needs to develop his ability to contribute in the pass game as both a blocker and a pass catcher to, to elevate himself to the next level. Level. That said, Najee Harris and Javante Williams, we think they're both outstanding you know, you know, running back value, whatever you think about that. Najee Harris is a guy who can contribute on three downs, can contribute uh, in the three phases, which would be running, receiving, and blocking. Um, and Javante Williams, a lot of the same, the same stuff. Doesn't have the same um, kind of uh, level of just consistent output over time that Najee Harris had. But um, he and Michael Carter are really exciting running backs out of UNC, different styles. And Javante Williams, you talk about NFL traits. This is a guy who blew away our leaderboards in terms of broken tackles and his ability to, to and uh, I think his contact balance grades and the scouting side match that uh, very well. And on top of that, he's a plug and play pass protector. And I can't think of a running back. Uh, recently that you've been able to say is a plug-and-play pass protector on the level that Javante Williams is. He, he will really come in and not just understand the scheme, but stonewall guys um, and guys that you wouldn't expect a running back to be able to pick up. So that's the reason why those two guys kind of separate themselves. Um, as you get deeper, I mentioned Michael Carter. He's a guy that I think is interesting. We're certainly higher on Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State than some other people are. Um, probably more of a first and second down guy again, uh, with like his ability to fit into his own scheme because that's a lot of what he was asked to do this past year at Mississippi State. Um, but, um, you know, you get deeper into the draft and, um, you know, one guy that continues to perplex me is Trey Sermon. I don't think anybody knows what to make of him. I think everybody loves production and worries about injuries and is not sure what exactly the whole story is and what the athletic upside is. Um, but I think he's just an interesting guy to keep an eye on uh, as we get deeper at that position. Uh, my flavor of the receiver leaderboard, we've got three elite, elite, elite receivers. Jalen Waddell actually graded out as our top guy. I mentioned slap me in the face about Travis Etienne, slap me in the face about Jamar Chase too. 
because if you told me a year ago he wouldn't be a top receiver, I wouldn't believe you. Um, when when um, we're a scouting department, I don't, this is not a unilateral scouting board. Jamar Chase was my top receiver on the board all year based on all the film that I had seen and all the studying that I had do, which began a lot with my Joe Burrow eval last year, really getting, you know, he didn't play any more games this year, uh, obviously. But um, in terms of what happened there, both of our directors, our, our two sort of over-the-top directors that do that run a lot of our cross-checks, Nathan Cooper and John Todd, they're both fantastic scouts, each of them in their own right. They came back and they said, we think Jalen Waddle's the top guy this year. I went back and I rewatched the film. I compared things. And what ended up separating Waddle on our grading scale was that he was the only guy that graded out with a nine to play speed and that one through nine trait grade scale that we talked about before. And this is a guy that if he if things go well, we're talking about a Tyreek Hill level speed and not just speed, but ability to adjust his own speed. So if you picture Tyreek Hill running and thinking you're, you know, you're a defensive back, you're tracking him, you think he's at top speed and all of a sudden he's really at top speed and you're screwed. That's the type of stuff that Jalen Waddle did to people that gets us so, so excited about him. Now, that said, I would have a hard time picking anybody over Jamar Chase because I absolutely love the player, and I think he's a bulletproof prospect as much as anybody's bulletproof. Um, we also have him with an all-pro level grade, and Devontae Smith is right behind those guys. All he did is have you know the best college football receiving season that we've seen since Larry Fitzgerald. So, I mean, uh, all three of those guys I think are – top five type value players. Um, and I'd be thrilled to have any of the three of them. The next guy on our list might surprise you. It's Rashad Bateman. Uh, we really like him. Um, just uh, kind of an all around skill guy, not a number one. We don't think there are any number ones outside of those three. Three number ones is pretty good in one draft. Um, but Rashad Bateman, we see him as a solid number two. Um, and then um, outside of that, you get some other guys that are that are okay number twos, and then you get kind of the elite slot only guys that get limited by our grading scale. But a Kadarius Tony and a Dwayne Eskridge, uh, Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore, you can throw into I think the same category. These are guys that are limited because either they're limited to the slot or they're limited to outside only roles. And based on our grading scale, just like we talked about versatility and problem solving at other positions, the ability for Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle to be a threat from outside or inside separates them in terms of our grading scale. So uh, you get kind of uh, a natural thing there. Um, there's so many receivers in this year's draft that there's more than enough for each team to draft one receiver. And I think we can have more, I think we can have more than 32 receivers drafted, and that wouldn't surprise me absolutely one bit. Uh, just incredible. Last year was the best wide receiver draft I can remember. This year's wide receiver draft might be better. Um, it's just outrageous. Um, and then we talked about the tight end in terms of uh, rounding out the skill positions. Kyle Pitts is the number one guy. Pat Fryer, with again, gets lowered down to uh, the next guy who we have as a solid starter. Um, and then you get into into that next tier of players. Um, as you get as you get down the list, um, guys that stand out to me in terms of. Uh, who to keep an eye on. Eh, I don't know if there's anybody that comes to mind. Um, maybe a Tommy Tremble uh, could be an interesting prospect uh, coming out of Notre Dame. Um, uh, some inconsistencies between the scouting report and the analytics on him there. So that always kind of presents a, a boomer bust type proposition to be. Um, Hunter Long out of Boston College, I think is another guy who could be um, an interesting guy because of his versatility. You're talking about a guy that has the measurables you look for in a tight end, the blocking ability, and enough route savvy to be a guy that that even though you're not talking about a high play speed player that, that's a, mass, a mismatch problem, uh, you look at his, at his performance statistics and you see each of his three seasons in college football uh, if you kind of think of it on the Madden scale, he was at a 94, a 90, and, a 90, and an 88 overall uh, in total points rating. Um, so a, a really effective player uh, who could fill in as a solid number two, I think, to keep an eye on. Um, but, man, it, yeah, he's pits. Um, and then, uh, you know, not a knock at any of those other guys, but he's, he's in a league of his own at the tight end position. 
absolutely extraordinary information. I, I feel like this is going to be an episode where people are going to be re-listening to it over and over and over again because of just how dense of a job you went into kind of going into each of these players in these positions and really kind of encapsulating the entire draft in, in, in an hour, which is impressive. I, I can't imagine that, that you were able to do if that. They are grab the handbook. Right? Yeah. If well, that's, are, that's the, the thing. Well, I think that this is, this is where I would say is, is if you've listened to this episode and you're intrigued, you're only just touching the tip of the iceberg. And I think that's really fair, Matt, right? When I say it, if we're going to go out there and get this handbook, what can we really expect in its totality? Because I, I really can't say enough good things about what you guys have done. And as we get to the end of the show, tell us, tell us a little bit about this handbook, where we can get it, where we can find you, how we can begin this journey of making sports info solutions. And they're basically their rookie handbook, a must every year. Yeah. Uh, you're very kind. And, uh, we've gotten great feedback too, from, uh, Tom Telesco, uh, Marty Herney, people like that, that, that appreciate what we've done. And uh, we're, we're absolutely humbled by it. The team at Sports Info Solutions, uh, again, it's, it's not me. Uh, it's, uh, to say it's not just me would be an understatement. It's much, much more other people. I'm, I'm, I'm a small part of it. Um, but for some reason, they put my name on the cover. So uh, the Football Rookie Handbook, you can expect for the top 300 prospects by our measure in the draft, We've evaluated over 700 prospects this year. This is the 300 that made it to the book. You can get a full scouting report, NFL-style scouting report, based on the the positional-based grading that we talked about, the role-based grading that we talked about that I learned through my years in the NFL. Um, And we've continued to improve upon it, Sports Info Solutions. Um, And along with each scouting report, you're the GM, you also get the analytic breakdown on each player so you can understand. And it's not analytics in terms of just a weird number that, that like I gave my Madden rating a minute ago. Uh, you, you certainly get that bottom line number, but you also get how much did this player line up in the slot versus out wide? How much did this defensive, uh, this outside linebacker, how much was he rushing versus dropping into coverage? And how effective was he in both of those roles? Um, all of this sort of intricate detail that we try to measure, we've given you – um, the best of what we can, like I said, for all these 300 players, you get both the scouting and the analytics side by side. Um, you also get NFL team breakdowns where we break down all the different positional strengths of each NFL team. And you can see um, the sort of uh, breakdown of not just where your team performed well and poorly, but who they were. Uh, how much did they run different personnel groups relative to average NFL teams? How much were they in nickel versus base versus dime and were they blitzing versus um, playing in coverage and how do they perform in uh, different coverage schemes, whether it be man versus zone or, or um, however you might look at it. So we, we try to boil all that down in there. And then there's also some really great articles which break down some of our cutting edge research that explains some of this stuff that goes into all, all the different statistics and, and the way that we break things down. Um, and at the end of the day, I think you get something that whether you get the physical copy um, and you can get the physical copy from actasports.com, that's A-C-T-A sports.com, that's through our publisher, it's a 700 page book. Um, you can order it. Um, they'll deliver it to you quickly and you can have it by your side as you watch the draft. And my favorite thing is revisiting each and every report, and each and every analytical breakdown as all the people come off the board. Uh, you know, as things, as things start to get a little bit dry on Saturday, um, and you get a little bit tired of hearing uh, Kuiper for the thousandth time and, and whatever else you're watching. Um, it can be really interesting to be able to dive into what's a scout's perspective on this player and what's, what's the, what is the NFL-style analytics. Because um, at Sports Info Solutions, we work with NFL teams. We're providing a lot of this similar type of data to them. You can get all that information in there. So having it by your side, um, you can get it from actasports.com. You can get it wherever you get books, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, and we also have Kindle version available for the first time this year. So I like to pull it up right on my cell phone because uh, I don't even actually have a Kindle, but I have the Kindle version on my cell phone. So um, you can pull it up on there. They have discounted prices if you get it through that. Um, and you can pull up uh, whatever player you're trying to look at. You know, you just uh, search for their name and you can see their, their scouting report. Um, you can read through all the different articles and access all the different team pages. 
So uh, whichever way you want to access it, actasports.com, Amazon, wherever you get books. Um, it's the, the SIS Football Rookie Handbook. And basically our goal is to make you the GM. Well, I, I got to tell you, absolutely stoked about this publication. He is the vice president of football and research at Sports Info Solutions and the editor of the way heller lid as we vaunted, so to speak, football rookie handbook that we've talked about this evening. Thank you, Matt Manicharian. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of what you guys do. Uh, I want to I want to come back and talk more about um, understanding um, your unique perspective on evaluation and how you really look at things from a movement perspective. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. I'm curious to see how it might dovetail more with our scouting process that exists already based on years of, of, of uh, people actually doing this in the field. Um, and then also how it dovetails with our analytics and kind of our new school measures. Um, I think there's a lot to it. I think this is a very difficult sport to analyze, but um, I want to, you know, you spent a lot of time uh, giving, giving SIS praise. And uh, I think uh, I want I, I, my feedback, uh, you know, the, the respect is mutual because I, I love the way that you think about things and um, kudos to your listeners because um, I, th- I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff being discussed here that when we look back years from now, um, this, this is going to be the seed that, that forms some really interesting plans. I don't even know how to say how much I appreciate that sentiment. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, like I'm sure just like you and your team, I, I think it's really just about constantly not being satisfied right? Always pushing the envelope, always trying to ask those questions better every day. Yeah. D- never be satisfied. I right? wish there was a way on, on Microsoft teams, but yeah, we're on Microsoft teams all the time now. Cause we're remote. I wish there was a way on Microsoft teams that I could walk around the office all day wrong and saying, get better, get better, get better. Because, uh, my motto is work hard, have fun and control controllable. So the only thing that I ask of my staff every day is for them to get better. Um, it'd be better when they were when they leave the, their work for the day than when they got there. And man, I'm humbled every day because uh, we've had the ability to do that. If you look at the handbooks over the years, they've gotten better over the years. If you look at the research we provide to teams over the years, it's gotten measurably better in terms of its predictability. Um, so we're always working to get better every day. And that's it. That's life, right? Yeah. No, that's it. And And I think that's you know, I mean, listen, I just happen to be, I mean, not to, I mean, who doesn't quote Rocky every once in a while, but I mean, nothing will hit you harder than life, right? And the only thing you could do is just keep getting back it up and, and keep challenging it more and more, right? I mean, even every year you just look to get better. So, I mean, thank you to everybody out there. If I mean, if this is something that you're interested in, if you're interested in the scouting process, if you're interested in analytics if you're interested in just enjoying the sport of football that you love and are passionate about more and more this handbook is something that will make that experience even better for you for everybody out there for myself for matt for my co-host paul perkeese and for our sound and tech engineer david nicano Thank you for spending this precious time. We know how time is very precious. We hope all of you and your families are remaining healthy and safe. And we hope you join us next time as we continue this journey to the draft as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.